part of every estate plan is it's not just, hey, let's put together a will and powers of attorney. It's then looking again at how all the assets are titled and saying, how do these need to be retitled so that they all flow along with the estate plan and wind up in the right place? Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. Today, we're talking about writing a love letter to the people who you care the most about. We're talking about estate planning, and we have a special guest, Paula Jones, who has over 25 years of experience, both internationally and domestically, helping individuals both of moderate net worth and significantly ultra high net worth, helping them make sure that their assets transfer to the people they love in the right way. In particular, we're going to be talking about what are the moves you need to make to protect yourself and your family during the divorce process in the event of your untimely death. We also talk about what to do after divorce and all the things you need to know. Make sure you stay to the end because Paula uncovers a myth that your will dictates how all of your assets are transferred. Paula says it just isn't so. And what matters is also how assets are titled. Unfortunately, many people are surprised by how assets move. And not only that, surprised by having to pay inheritance or estate tax. She gives you some great tips and advice on how to make sure you're not one of them. So without further ado, please help me welcome Paula Jones. Paula, it's great to have you here. I am so excited to talk to you about estate planning. And a lot of times estate planning, some people may say it's not the most exciting topic, but I know that you and I do not agree with that because it's all about taking care of the people you love. There's no other topic or issue I can imagine that's more interesting and important than that. But thank you for being here today, Paula. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. And I agree with you. Just spoke with a client this morning who said, once we get through all this, I'll just be able to sort of continue living my life knowing that I put everything in order and I kind of don't have to think about it again. And I said, yes, that she can certainly do it that way. Yeah. And for a lot of individuals who are like those listening today, who are either going through the divorce process or have finalized their divorce, there's a lot of pieces that have been on their plate. And one of them is estate planning, but often I find it's the one that's left to do to the very end. So one of the biggest questions that I always hear from our clients, should I be doing anything with my estate planning documents when I'm going through a divorce, knowing that your divorce is probably not going to wrap up in six to 12 months, it's going to be a longer time period. Yeah, that's a really good question and needs to be answered by two people. 
And mm -hmm. the one is an estate attorney such as myself, but the other person is the divorce attorney who's representing the person. So mm -hmm. the part that the divorce attorney needs to make sure is done properly is that the current assets in the way that they're owned needs to be a certain way or stay in a certain way because of the divorce process. And so that attorney needs to advise on that portion of things. That does not mean, however, that if someone feels safer, that in the immediate future that they have a different estate plan in place, they can go ahead and do that. Knowing that through the divorce process, when there's a settlement, they may have additional obligations that they do need to work into their estate plan. Uh -huh. For instance, it may be an obligation where someone says that they must keep a life insurance policy going for a certain number of years. So that yep. should they pass away, an ex-spouse or children or you know some other party must receive life insurance proceeds to a certain amount, for instance. That is something that they would need to update their estate plan. You know, one of the things that I ask of an estate attorney, whether someone's going through a divorce or has been through a divorce, is I say, do you have a settlement agreement? Do you have any existing obligations that continue from your divorce, even if it was many, many years ago? Because we need to honor that in the estate plan. If it is not included, there is a contract, that asset uh, settlement agreement. It's an agreement. It's a legal duty. And so that's going to be brought into an estate administration. It's messy if it's not included already in the estate plan as part of it. But while going through, things shift. As negotiations go on, it isn't clear what those lasting obligations are going to be. And so it is okay to do sort of a, a stopgap estate plan, uh -huh. knowing uh -huh. that it may need to be updated as the divorce is finalized. So I know that for a lot of the individuals who want to do that interim state plan or that stopgap is because they want to make sure that their assets go to their children. Yeah. Whereas their current estate planning, we often call it the I love you will, where he passes away and all the assets are left to the spouse or she passes away and everything is left to the spouse. And when you're going through a divorce, you know, many individuals want to, you know, hop over that person, understandably, because they're going through a separation or a divorce and make sure that it's left with the children. Can you do that even yeah. though you're technically still married? Yeah. So each state is going to be slightly different in, in how that state law answers that question. However, yes, there's nothing preventing someone from putting together a plan that says, okay, I leave everything to my children in equal shares instead of their existing plan that may have said, first, I leave it to my spouse. And then if my spouse doesn't survive me, then I leave it to my kids in equal shares. Now, there is also what many states have is that when divorce occurs, if someone has an old will that still mentions that spouse, what many states do is they automatically, due to a divorce, make any reference to the spouse treated as if that spouse has predeceased. Okay. You know? So in other words, that spouse is kind of automatically taken so out. So this is, this is post-divorce. Right. Someone would pass away, they have not updated their documents, and their husband is still in all of those documents as right. the next inheritor of the Correct. assets. Correct. So state law will step in and just sort of delete him automatically, you know, in, mm -hmm. in most mm -hmm. states. However, the question is, what about during the divorce? And so different yeah. states view when someone is divorced or when those things actually kick in at different points 
through a divorce process. Mm-hmm. So some states, you know, will say, well, once this particular filing is done in a court, then we consider the person divorced for estate purposes. And another state might have a different point during the divorce, or they might say, nope, everything has to be signed, sealed, and delivered, and nothing further on the table in order for us to be considered that the divorce is complete for estate purposes. So it is a little bit different. So that's why I say, yes, someone can put something together. They just need to be mindful that there may be other forces in place that say, we're going to interpret that will a little bit differently because at the time of your death, if someone dies in the middle of a divorce, which is not a rare occurrence, it is an incredibly stressful time and it does happen where people pass away. And so that's why this is kind of a common question is that the two areas of law do kind of intersect sometimes, you know, unfortunately, where someone does have to say, were they actually divorced at the time of the death for estate purposes in this particular state law or not? Yeah. A friend of mine, such a sad story. We had a wine tasting and I was waiting outside the wine store and I was so looking forward to this also to spend some time with her. She was going through the divorce process. And so it'd been very stressful and she didn't show up and it was not like her. And so I kept on calling and finally her son picked up and she had just passed away just literally an hour before. And it really, I mean, as unbelievably sad story, it turned out that the husband ended up essentially disclaiming the assets and having them pass to the children instead of the assets passing to him. Hmm. But my question is, legally, could he have received all those assets? Because again, they weren't divorced yet. They were in the process. And how would you protect against that? That's a great question. And unfortunately, and that's a perfect example And good for that husband to kind of step up and do that, to honor what her wishes would have been. But that does happen. It does happen. And so, yes, when someone starts the divorce process, they can go ahead, like a lot of people want to do, and sort of update their plan right away. Yeah. You know, as soon as they realize that, no, I don't want to benefit this person, they really can go ahead and do that. And it happens. For the people who don't get around to it, it happens all the time. Someone like has a life insurance policy from years ago, they never updated the beneficiary. They've got an ex-spouse on there. That happens all the time. If that is not uncommon, I don't want people to feel bad if that's happened. You know, they are not alone, but the best way to go about it is get on the estate plan as part of an estate plan, as I'm sure you are with any financial planning, you know, your first step is okay. Let's write down all of the assets that this person has. How is it titled? Who owns it? Who are the beneficiaries? You take a look at all of that and say, you know, what do we have here? And then part of every estate plan is it's not just, hey, let's put together a will and powers of attorney. It's then looking again at how all the assets are titled and saying, how do these need to be retitled so that they all flow along with the estate plan and wind up in the right place? So so that's a really vital part. I'm really glad that you brought that up, titling. Can you talk about the different categories of filing for assets yeah. and how they pass at death and, yeah. you know, sometimes how that hinders or actually supports your estate plan. Yeah, absolutely. Titling is huge. So 
What a lot of people think understandably is if they have a will that let's say it leaves everything to my kids, they think that that will governs every asset that they own in the world, okay? That's a reasonable assumption. Unfortunately, it's, it's actually incorrect. So here are the four categories of titles of assets. And only one of those categories actually passes through your will. So this is why part of every estate plan is that first we take a look at all the assets and how they're titled. Then we ask the client, what do you really want to happen? At the end of the day, who do you want to get what amount of your estate? And then we make sure that that happens. And making sure is one, putting that will together or a revocable trust or some combination of the two. And then finally, we absolutely have to make sure that all of the titles and the beneficiary designations of everything points to that plan so that everything winds up exactly where the client wants it to go. So here are the four categories. Number one, solely owned property. Okay, that's property that is in your own name. You don't own it with anyone else. It does not name a beneficiary and it's not in a trust of any kind. Uh So a bank checking account, you look at the top left-hand corner of that statement and it says Jane Doe and that's you and that's all it says. It doesn't and say that's that a solely owned, owned, there's no beneficiary and- And yeah. not in a trust. Yep, mm-hmm. that's solely owned property. And so we're gonna call that probate property for a second. So solely owned and probate property, it's the same thing. Second category is beneficiary designation property. So that's like life insurance, retirement plans where you know mm-hmm. you have this mm-hmm. asset and then yep. you're handed- a beneficiary form that says, okay, at your death, who's getting the life insurance? And you fill in, okay, maybe it's spouse, maybe it's children, maybe it's my best friend, whatever. That's beneficiary designation property. What happens? If I pass away, what I had in that retirement plan or in that life insurance or in uh, investment accounts, you can put beneficiary designation on your brokerage account, you know, sitting somewhere if you want to. And it just immediately at the time of your death, automatically passes to the beneficiary that was named. It doesn't pass through a will because it's already there. That form is attached to it, that beneficiary Uh designation uh form. No one has to ask who are the beneficiaries of this person's estate. This person already said, I leave it to this person. And normally you name a, a primary beneficiary and then a contingent or a secondary beneficiary where it says, okay, first I leave it to my kids in equal shares. And then, you know, if one of them, God forbid, you know, doesn't take, but they leave children, I leave it to their children. Those are just examples. So that's beneficiary designation property. Another example of those is payable on death accounts with a bank. They just automatically pass to the beneficiary or so POD, you'll see that on a statement or transfer on death, TOD, you'll see that on a statement. So that's beneficiary designation property. The other kind is jointly owned. You're owning something with someone else. So Uh you're going to see at the top left-hand corner of that bank statement, you're going to see Jane and John Doe, Uh J-T-R-W-R-O-S, joint tenants with right of survivorship or something like that. Sometimes you'll see A-T-B-E as tenants by the entireties. Tenancy by the entireties is a phrase that refers to married couples. It's specific Uh to married couples. But the result at death is the same. It means that if John or Jane Doe passes away, the survivor of them is automatically the 100% owner of that asset. 
So you've purchased a house with another person. If you're married to that person, it is automatically assumed to be joint tenants with right of survivorship or tenancy by the entireties. If you and your friend decide to go into an investment property together and it's me and friend, that house will probably be titled still jointly, but as tenants in common. So mm -hmm. tenants in common is the only kind of joint tenancy where you own something with someone else, but at the death of one of you, your half actually passes through your will. It goes through your estate. It does not automatically go to your joint owner. When would you see tenants in common with versus joint tenants with rights of survivorship? So it's basically if you share your financial life with someone and you go into a purchase together that you're going to see the joint tenants with right of survivorship. Okay. So very much yep. with married couples, you know, that's generally going to be where you're going to see it. And the reason why I use the friends going into an investment property together is they want to own the house together, but if one of them dies, yeah. they're not expected to inherit the other person's half of the house. Got it. They may want to leave that to their spouse, their children. Yep. Understandable. And yep. are there any issues the state that you live in, of whether it's a community property state and what that looks like. And then also, if you could just share some of those community property states, I think there's 13. Is it 13? I think or it's 11. About 13. But I'm yeah, so happy it, that I'm not the only one that doesn't know the exact number, but <laughs> right. I, I know right. California. Yeah. Um, they tend to be West. Yes, West that, in the United true. States. Maybe that's why I'm not as on top of all of them. Right. We, we, yeah. On the East Coast, we don't come across them very often. But yes, yeah. there is still this concept of community property, which kind of means as soon as you are married, that there's sort of this assumption that the two of you own everything together. So California, yes, Texas is community property. And so a lot of, you know, even estate planning or legal work in those states I will often say, no, you need to use someone in that state because that's a community property state. And there's all these other laws that yeah. sort of relate yeah. to family law that intersect with the state. And like, you got to get that, all that straight. We don't know what we don't know about community property. So we hand it to the people who do know. But yes, that's a kind of a remnant. There are still some states that are left over. Even in other states, even in non-community property states, we need to be aware of it. Because if someone has purchased property together in a community property state, and then they move to a non-community property state, it is possible that the characterization of that particular asset of community property remains. Uh -huh. and so it's something that we yeah. still always ask, you know, about the history of that. But the short answer, getting back to the jointly owned. So concepts of jointly owned property is a function of state law. And so every state law is going to be slightly different. Ultimately, you've got to look at state law to see how is this actually interpreted. And when it comes to married people, that's really usually where you're going to have some nuances on state law. And that's generally going to be your community thing. Joint tenants as tenancy by the entireties, which is specific to married people, it is going to have some nuances at the state law level as to how actually is it owned while both people are still alive. And if there's a divorce, how is that property going to be viewed? There's going to be some nuances there. But generally for estate purposes, it's one of them passes away, the survivor of them automatically owns 100% of the property. Yeah. 
So I'm hearing titling of number one, solely owned or probate, which is a checking account in your name, maybe a car, if you just have a car in your name, a brokerage account that you haven't put a beneficiary on that's again in your name. And then we talked about beneficiary assets where those are assets where you, you actually click off that beneficiary. And we all remember what they are because I know for me, when I do that, I have to think of, okay, how well behaved are my children? Am I <laughs> just joking? <laughs> but IRAs, retirement plans through work, 401ks, life insurance, things like that. And then also jointly owned, which you look at your brokerage account and it has your name and someone else's or uh, a checking account. A lot of houses, homes we see where they are jointly owned and one person passes away and the person receives that being joint with rights of survivorship for that. So knowing those titling, that's really important because it dictates how that asset is to be transferred on your death. And so solely owned in probate you don't have any beneficiary. So whatever your will says right. is going to be the conductor of where that goes. Exactly. Whereas beneficiary assets, the conductor of where that's going to go is who you listed as your beneficiary. Right. And then the jointly owned is who do you jointly own this with? Right. And that's who it's going to. So a lot of moving parts, which is understandable of why you need an estate planning attorney. And I don't want to be controversial, those wills that you can do online are not worth the paper that they're written on. And I find people who think that their life is not complex, and I'm sure you've had people say this, they sit down in your office, Paula, they say, you know, it's pretty straightforward. Right. But you know what? (laughs) It's very rare that things really are straightforward, especially if she's gone through a divorce, she has children, maybe even thinking about a remarriage or being remarried, there's much more complexity than we think we really have. And maybe it's because we live it. So it just feels Mm -hmm. very normal. But in reality, when it comes to estate planning, there's a lot to think about. Absolutely. And you summarize kind of how assets pass. And that's how we see that if people think, oh, I have a will and it governs everything, it may govern nothing. If everything you own is joint, then everything goes to a joint owner. If everything has a beneficiary designation, then everything goes to those beneficiaries. That also causes some issues too, because if taxes need to be paid, where are the taxes going to come from? I just had someone run out, put beneficiary designations on everything so that it all automatically passes a death. I said, well, that's great. How are you going to pay the state of Pennsylvania the inheritance tax? Where's that going to come from? Those are the kinds of issues that, because nothing is passing through the will, nothing was passing through the estate, but they still owe the inheritance tax on it. All the assets are going out to people. And then the executor is going to have to say, wait, 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 I have to claw back some money to pay Pennsylvania. So let's talk about estate tax, because I know this has been one of the most in the headlines topics over these last couple of years, what the federal estate tax exemption is going to be. So if you could talk a little bit about that and why, even though you may not be worried about federal at those higher levels, why you could end up still paying estate taxes if you live in certain states. 
So there's two level of taxes at death and let's just call them death taxes to use a very general. I have to term. tell you, I hate death and I hate taxes. So I, I, <laughs> I think, I feel like calling them death taxes just calls them what they are. No one wants to pay <laughs> right. them. I feel like right. we all like <laughs> that name. So yeah. death taxes right off. We all do not like them. How do we avoid them? <laughs> so, so the federal estate tax, of course, doesn't matter what state you live in at your death. If an individual has in 2022, $12.06 million in their estate or greater, they're subject to estate tax on the first dollar at, well, the first penny after $12.06 million. That's a high number. And so most people, you know, you hear a lot of talk about the federal estate tax and what a problem it is and all of that. But the fact is a very, very small percentage of our population really kind of needs to worry about that. Just so people know, in 2026, January 1st, as long as our politicians don't change the laws, which they're always talking about doing, that number is going to go down to 6 million. Okay, so still pretty high. But if people have over six million, they need to start planning for federal estate tax and they can do that now. And let's say you have three million in your overall assets, real estate, Mm -hmm. brokerage account and retirement, but you have 3.5 million in life insurance that pays out. Are you going to all of a sudden find yourself in a few years when it drips down to 6 million owing federal estate tax on some of that $6.5 million? Yes. And the reason why is because everything, 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 every kind of asset is includable for federal estate tax, including life insurance. So what a lot of people hear is they hear, but I didn't think life insurance was taxable. And what they mean by that is the recipient of those proceeds does not have to pay income tax on what they have inherited. That's true. Life insurance proceeds are not considered income for income tax purposes. However, we're talking about a different tax here. We're talking about federal estate tax. Someone passes away owning a life insurance policy with 3.5 million in proceeds. That 3.5 million is considered an asset and is includable in their estate for federal estate tax purposes. Federal estate tax purposes is easy to understand. And the reason why it's easy is because the rule is it includes everything. There are no exceptions. And in fact, it includes assets worldwide. It's not just those things in the United States. It's literally anything you own in the world, wherever it is located. So you add it all up. If you're going to be in excess of 6 million in 2026 or in excess of 12 million now, then you need to do some federal estate tax planning and you do that with an estate attorney. Now, when it comes to states, the individual states, they too often want a piece of your net worth through estate taxes as well. And what I've seen is often that their exemptions are a lot lower than what that $12.06 million is of the federal a state tax exemption. So I know every state's different, but what would you suggest to make sure that you don't get hit by that as well? So that answer is going to depend on how that state level of tax is done. So I'll give an example. Uh, Pennsylvania, they have an inheritance tax. They do not have a state level of a state tax. They used to many years ago, they, they, they repealed it. They got rid of it. So Pennsylvania's inheritance tax says, for instance, 
anything passing to children from parent to child is a flat four and a half percent in tax. So if I die with $100,000, I'm going to owe about $4,500. There are some deductions, but let's keep it simple. I'm going to owe the state of Pennsylvania $4,500 on the $100,000 that I died with. That's on dollar one. If I die with $1, I owe the state of Pennsylvania four and a half cents. So there's no exemption. There's no amount that says, well, if you die with less than X, you know, we're not going to be bothered by coming after you for inheritance tax. There is no such exemption. Every state is different. So the state of New Jersey, for instance, they repealed their estate tax, I believe, in 2018. They still uh -huh. have an inheritance tax. And the inheritance tax it takes the classes of beneficiaries, it puts them in different classes and it says, okay, like spouse is normally treated a certain way. Children and lineal descendants, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, we call those lineals. On down the line, they're a certain class of beneficiary. What about a beneficiary who isn't a relative, who's just a friend? That's a class of beneficiaries. What about charitable organizations? Most laws that you're gonna see at the federal or state level is going to say anything passing to charity, they're not going to tax it. That's yeah. a freebie. We want people to give things to, you know, give assets to charity. But the rates on the different, depending on the different classes of beneficiary are going to change. They're going to be different. So in New Jersey, if you are leaving things to spouse or children, you're not going to owe anything anyway. It's 0%. You're not going to owe that. It's when you start getting more far afield that then you start getting into if you start leaving to the friend, to the fourth yep. cousin. Yep. Yeah. I mean, which I think really hones down why you should not be doing these documents online. Mm -hmm. You should be working with mm -hmm. a qualified state planning attorney. Yeah. I know we're coming up to the end and we've talked about planning during the divorce process, interim planning that you can do, the importance of titling and how that can dictate how assets transfer at your death and that the will is important, but it's not the full conductor of the whole orchestra, that there's a lot right. of other pieces going on. Right. Paula, let's say that the settlement divorce agreement has been signed, everything signed, sealed, and delivered. What should you be doing to update your state planning documents as well? And can you talk a little bit about a healthcare proxy, power of attorney, and, and how those play? Sure. So a complete estate plan is going to include a will at the very least, plus a financial power of attorney and a medical power of attorney. No one walks out of my office with having at least those three things. You may have more, you may have revocable trusts, you might have irrevocable trusts. You know, you might start getting a little bit fancier depending on, on the situation. But at the very, very least, you're gonna have a will, a financial power of attorney and a medical power of attorney. So powers of attorney, what, what does that mean? If you become incapacitated in some way, unable to handle your finances or unable to make medical decisions for yourself, you're going to want to name your primary choice and then a backup choice of an individual to take over those things for you. So it's absolutely imperative that you trust that person and your financial agent under your power of attorney can be someone different than the medical agent under the medical power of attorney. Uh -huh. Some people are great with money. Some people are great in times of crisis and standing in a hospital room, having to make difficult decisions with doctors. Those can really be two different personalities. And so it's perfectly fine to have two different kinds of people that you've named there, but that's an absolute bait. The other thing about the financial powers of attorney that I'll note, 
there's a couple of kinds of different powers of attorney as well. A lot of people have heard of the durable general power of attorney. That means that as soon as you sign it, even though you're fully competent, it's in effect, meaning that that agent could act on your behalf. They still, by law, can only act in a way that you would act for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. They can't just go and start raiding your bank accounts and taking the money out themselves. They're not allowed to do that. That's a breach of fiduciary duty. Not okay. But what it does mean is that there are people who are not incapacitated. They've done a power of attorney. They just don't like handling their affairs anymore. So we have like a lot of elderly parents who say, you know what, my daughter, my son, they just handle all the bills for me. I just can't stand doing it anymore. They're fully competent, but their child is using that power of attorney, that durable general power of attorney to take care of things for them. Uh That's uh that's perfectly fine. The the medical, we are all going to be given the ability to make our own medical decisions until we can't anymore. And at that point, doctors and healthcare professionals will turn to someone and say, is there an agent under a power of attorney here? Who is the spokesperson for this person? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and the last person you probably want is your ex-spouse to be making those decisions financially or medically. So I imagine that the advice after a divorce is, you know, update all those documents, update all your beneficiaries, look at the titling and do all of that. I'd love for our guests listening today to find out how they can contact you. Do you want to share your website? and also the states that you're able to practice in, that would be really wonderful. Great, yeah, uh, happy to. So I am barred in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and New York. So I'm definitely in kind of the tri-state area here. And my firm is Jones Estate Group, and that's also my website. So www.jonesestategroup.com. They can email me at paula at jonesestategroup.com. And I welcome questions, I am happy to you know, if anyone just kind of has a question, a concern, uh, wants to clarify anything from the podcast, I'm more than happy to have someone shoot me an email. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me. And I will do my best to respond. And then also office number for calling is 484-680-1143. So reach out in any of those methods and I'll, and I will certainly respond. That's great. And for all of you listening, especially if anyone is driving, don't worry if you didn't get to write it down. All of this information will be in the show notes for our show today. So don't worry, both the uh, website, email, as well as phone number, how to contact Paula with any questions or if you want to get started with some of your estate planning. And I will tell you, just wrapping it up, I would love to spend $5,000 on a vacation and how wonderful that vacation would be. But if it's between that and spending that money on knowing that my family is going to be taken care of in the event of something happened to me, I mean, I think we can all agree that that's very well spent money. And it may be 5,000, but I think that, you know, for some people it can be less. It really depends on your situation. Mm -hmm. So don't let the cost and really hinder you from doing this work because there are far too many people that don't have estate plans or don't have updated estate plans. And I see what happens to their children afterwards. And it is a trauma of losing your parent. And on top of it, absolute disaster as well. And that's the last legacy anyone would want to. So thank you so much for being here today, Paula. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much.
I hope you really enjoyed listening to Paula Jones. I know I did. Estate planning is really, it's a love letter to make sure that the people you care the most about are taken care of. And unfortunately, it's not simple and it's not straightforward, but having the right professional is a must-have to make sure that everything is in order and that you just know everyone's going to be taken care of. If you worry about your finances, I want you to reach out to a professional as well. Here at Francis Financial, we're one of the top 20 leading financial advisory firms nominated by CNBC. We work with individuals like you going through transition, such as a divorce or unfortunately the death of a spouse, helping you plan the rest of your life to ensure that you have financial security. With the market as volatile as it is now, there's even more risks. Reach out to us so we can do a full portfolio analysis and help you understand where you stand financially and the steps you need to take to get on that path to long-term financial security. You can reach out to me, Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at francisfinancial.com, or you can go to our website, www.francisfinancial.com, where you'll find guidebooks that I have written helping women through the divorce process, giving you all the tools and information you need to make good decisions. We're here. We're a resource for you. Please do reach out. I look forward to speaking with you soon. Thank you.